Amen. You may be seated this morning. I want to ask you if you have your Bibles to open to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John and chapter number 8. As you're turning there, I'm going to read a passage uh, quickly for you from Exodus 13. And I know I'm starting uh, preaching much later than normal, I promise. Uh, I'll only preach for three hours, so we'll be out of here in time for the evening service. No, uh, we'll, be, we'll be done at our normal time. Uh, Caleb, you're, that's tonight. You're a little off, but we'll get her figured. It may be on the, uh, Jesus, the light of the world. Looks like the choir's not there. Shoot a text to Colton real quick. As uh, he's getting that cared for this morning, I want to read a passage to you for Exodus 13. Exodus 13, verse 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them the way, and by night a pillar of fire to give them light, to go by day at night. He took not away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night before the people. Before we look at our text verse this morning, can I tell you all the way back in the book of Exodus, as God's people were traveling through the wilderness, they had left slavery, they had left the bondage of Egypt, and they were going, being led by God. Now Moses was the physical leader, but Moses did not set the course. Moses did not illuminate the way. Moses simply followed God and the people followed Moses. But how did Moses know where to go? How how did Moses have the course? He did not have the course. He had the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. He had the light of God. He had that light. Can I tell you that when this world began... And by the way, I I know exactly how it began. So, Pastor, how can you know how it began? Because God records how it happened. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When God created everything that we see and everything we know, you understand that God and nothing said, let there be, and it happened. God said, let there be light. He is the light. He is the light of the world. Would you look there in the text that I had you turn to this morning in the Gospel of John? In the Gospel of John in chapter 8, we find an amazing statement that Jesus made. This was not said of Christ. This was not said by Peter or James or John. This was not said by one of the other disciples. It was not said by Mary. It was not said by anyone else. It was said by Jesus himself in John chapter 8 and verse 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world, and he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Lord, I thank you for being that everlasting light the choir so beautifully sang about. I thank you for being the light of the world. I thank you for leading your people by your light. Lord, as we pause to take a quick glimpse back in time, to take a trip into that temple, 
to that place where you would make that statement to your people. Lord, may we see the power of it. May we understand it. And Lord, I pray if there be one here this morning walking in the darkness without the light of God, without the light of life in their life, Lord, I pray today that they would turn to you. Lord, would you help me, empower me, embolden me to preach your word. Lord, would you work in hearts. Lord, you've promised in your word, and Lord, we know we can trust you. Your word never lies. You said your word would not return void. Lord, we're trusting you to use your word mightily in this place today. Would you be uplifted? Would you be glorified? In your precious name we pray. Amen. I've never been to Jerusalem. I I know several folks that are planning on going in January, depending on what happens with the current political situation there in the Middle East. Pastor Bossy in Calgary is scheduled to travel there in January, and I talked to him just two days ago. He called me, and I said, well, I'm, I'm praying that God will allow you to go. I said, but if he doesn't, I, I'm not going to be too upset because then he's going to get to come to our Preachers and Workers Conference in January. I've never been there, but if you would go to Jerusalem, if you had been there in the day 2,000 years ago when Jesus would walk the streets of that city, if you would go to the temple, if you, as you approach the temple in Jerusalem during that time in the first century A.D., you would pass through the eastern gate where Jesus would make his triumphal entry before he would go to the cross. You would come to the court of the Gentiles, which was a large court, paved with stones of various colors. It was open to everyone. Anybody could come there. It was open even to the cattle dealers and the money changers. Remember those that would defile the temple that Jesus would kick over their tables and make a braid a whip and beat them? <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Uh, those people were welcome in that place. Those who would desecrate the temple, they, they could, even they could come into that court of the Gentiles. That court was also called the outer court, the lower court. The rabbis or the teachers there in the temple called it the mountain of the Lord's house. All around the temple proper, was a nine-foot-high wall or terrace with stairs, which was higher up above that court of the Gentiles where anyone was welcome to come inside. It was surrounded as well by a five-foot-high wall, which was designed to keep out the Gentiles. There were also pillars in the wall at various distances with inscriptions in Latin, Inscriptions in Greek and inscriptions in Hebrew during that day 2,000 years ago. And those inscriptions were warnings. There were warnings to all Gentiles to come no further. Under penalty of death, they were not allowed. Gentiles were not allowed to go beyond that place in the temple. But if you could go beyond that, if you go beyond the court of the Gentiles... If you go to the top of that terrace in the temple there in Jerusalem, there was a platform. That platform was about 15 feet. 
And then there was another wall. On the east side, the east side of that wall, there stood a magnificent 60-foot-wide gate. About the distance from that wall to that wall. That gate was called the gate beautiful. The beautiful gate. We read about that gate in that location in the book of Acts chapter 3. We've been looking at the book of Acts in our Wednesday night Bible studies and we just talked about just a few weeks ago the healing that took place there. During the time of the morning and the evening sacrifices, that gate, that beautiful gate, that 60 foot wide gate or entrance, that was the place where public worship would happen. If you'd enter through that gate and go through that beautiful gate, uh, the sixth, also called Gate Susan, but that beautiful gate had an inscription of the city of Susa on it. But as you go through that beautiful gate, you would come into a large court called the Court of the Women. How many of you have ever heard of the Court of the Women before? It was called the Court of Women, not because there were only women there. It was called the Court of the Women because that was the last place, the farthest that a Jewish woman could go into the temple. That last place, that court of women. There were smaller courts with columns in the four corners of that court. In front of these columns were the 11 treasure chests, the treasury, the place where people would come and give voluntary offering to the temple. It was there, by the way, where Jesus would be over against watching when a little widow woman would carry a couple of mites and drop them. Just a small sound. The smallest of sound of those little bits of coin. And yet Jesus heard those coins. You and I have heard the echo of those coins for 2,000 years. Because Jesus would say she gave of all she had. That's where that would happen in that place. Jesus was sitting opposite the treasury that day when he saw that woman. It was near those treasure chests in that place where the man healed of blindness came up to Jesus and John and worshipped Jesus. Now, in that place, that court of women, that area we speak of this morning as far as we have gone into the temple on our journey through our mind's eye 2,000 years ago, it was there that Jesus would say these words, I am the light of the world. So preacher, why does it matter? What's the point of where Jesus would say those words? And Jesus spoke those words while standing in the temple in the place called the Court of Women. In that place, were large, and when I say large, 75 feet tall, candelabras or menorahs, oil-fed, that were lit during the Feast of Tabernacles, during a great ceremony called the Illumination of the Temple. It involved the ritual lighting of those four 
four giant 75 feet tall candelabras, oil fed that gave off tremendous light when they were lit, light that would light the temple but also light outside the temple. They were lit all night long. It shined their brilliance. The ceremony occurred on the feast first night and perhaps the lighting would happen every night. But when Jesus said the words, I am the light of the world, they were not lit. They were dark. You see, they were only lit during certain times. And Jesus there in that court of women with people gathered around that understood. And by the way, those lights, those, those giant pillars that held the candelabras or uh, the menorahs, they were a picture of the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud that led God's people to the wilderness. It was there that Jesus, the Son of God, who became flesh and dwelt amongst us, Jesus, the everlasting light, who is perfect and holy and righteous altogether, Jesus, who never sinned, Jesus, who would go to the cross and die for you and die for me and shed his blood, would say those words, I am the light of the world. His words would call attention to the fact that he was the Messiah, that he was the one. The candles were beautiful. The light was amazing. But they were only a picture. They were only a dim picture of the light of the world who is Jesus Christ. I want to share very, very quickly with you this morning a couple of thoughts. Number one, I want you to think about the claim, the claim of light. The claim of light. Jesus claimed to be the light of the world. Did you ever realize that Jesus could never claim to be something that would make him greater than he really was? It's impossible because he is. He's the one, by the way, when Moses said in the wilderness, give me a sign, who would I tell him sent me? I am. I, you are what? God said, I am everything. I am that I am. There is nothing Jesus could claim that would be beyond his scope of who he is. He is everything. He is the light of the world. When he claimed to be that light, he's not a dim light. He's not a flicker of light. He is all light. He is all life. He did not overstretch and overclaim the promise that Jesus would give was fully true. In him was life, and the life was light of men, John tells us. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh from the world. John 3 says, and this is the condemnation, that light is come in the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. John 9 tells us, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. It says in Matthew chapter 5 that you and I are to be light. In the world. It's his light that enables us to be light. In the deep south where I'm from years ago during Prohibition and beyond, there were people called moonshiners. 
to go out and make, break the law and make illegal alcohol, and they would do it at nighttime so they wouldn't be caught. They were called moonshiners because they would work by only the light of the moon in the dark at night. Can I tell you in a very real way, you and I as Christians are moonshiners. You see, our light is not our own light, just as the moon has no light of its own. The moon simply reflects the light of the sun. Christian, you and I are to shine like the moon. We are to reflect the light that is Jesus Christ. As he said, I am the light of the world. You and I are to reflect his light, not our light. The light the world needs is not our light, it's Jesus' light. Number two, the contrast. The contrast of light. How many of you have ever been in a cave before? My wife and I, several years ago, about 20, almost 20 years ago, maybe 19 years ago, we went in a cave in Kentucky. And we went way down in this cave. I remember we saw some bats. We walked way, way down. I don't remember the mammoth. I think it was Mammoth Cave in Kentucky. And we get down way deep in the cave. And our guide said, okay, we're now going to turn off the lights. And they said, be aware, it's going to be very dark. It's going to be complete darkness, absence of all light. And they shut off the lights. When they shut off the lights, I took my hand and I put it up to my eyes trying to see if I could see. And I touched my eyeball and still could not see. It was absolute, complete darkness. As we think of the contrast of light, light is so much different than darkness. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. We think of the contrast of holiness and sin, boldness and fear, vision, blindness, godliness and godlessness, life and death, insight, ignorance. What a contrast. Jesus, the light of the world, is a great contrast to our world. His light is in opposition to the darkness of sin the darkness of the curse that came upon man because of sin. There's an allegory written for children, but I believe it's okay for us as grown-ups, that once upon a time, a cave lived under the ground. As caves have the habit of doing, it had spent its lifetime in darkness. It heard a voice calling to it, Come up into the light. Come and see the sunshine. The cave retorted, I don't know what you mean. There isn't anything but darkness. Finally, the cave ventured forth and was surprised. As he came out, he found light everywhere. The son asked of the cave, what is darkness? The cave replied, come with me and I'll show you darkness. 
I know darkness. So the son accepted the invitation of the cave. And the son came with the cave. And as it entered into the cave, the son said, Now show me your darkness. But the cave could not show it darkness because there was nothing but light. Why? Because the sun was present. Can I tell you that when Jesus Christ is present, there is nothing but light. Nothing but light. He is the light of the world. We see the contrast of light. Number three, we see the conditions. The conditions of light in this passage. Jesus said, he that followeth me. That's the condition. This this light is not a spark of divinity in every man. It's not innate light in every man. The Bible says, if you follow me, Jesus said to Peter, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. The closer we follow Jesus Christ, the more light we will reflect. In the Old Testament, as they followed the pillar of fire, the closer they got under the pillar of fire, the brighter the night, the warmer the night. We're to follow him. We're to follow him. Can I tell you this morning that you and I, every person that has ever been born, have an opportunity to have the light of the world. By the way, it's not by religious works. It's not granted by a church. It's not granted by a pastor or a priest or a religious leader. It only comes by grace through faith as we receive him, the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the light, the conditions follow me. I have to accept him. I have to believe him. Lastly, number four, and I close with this thought this morning. I want to talk to you about the consequences. The consequences of light. Jesus said these words, but shall have the light of life. But shall have the light of life. The consequence of believing in Jesus Christ that happens to every believer is that we have, not we hope for, not that one day we may get, but that we have the light of life. John tells us these things that I have written to you that you may know that you have eternal life. I praise God that I have a no-so salvation, that I have a life that is eternal. If a person wants that light, they can have it, but only through Jesus Christ. A little child once heard a preacher say that all Christians are saints. And by the way, that little child heard the truth. If you're a child of God this morning, you believed in Him, you are, the Bible calls us saints. However, there are many false religions in our world that deem themselves the one that say who a saint is and they make up their own rules that don't follow God's rules. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. So, In truth, the only saints are those who are born again. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a saint this morning. That little girl who grew up and heard that statement that 
you know, we're all saints if we've trusted Christ. She didn't quite understand that, and one day she was taken to a grand cathedral, a cathedral that was built by those who would not call every believer a saint, but rather they would deem different people that they would call saints. And as she was there in that beautiful cathedral with the beautiful stained glass windows, and the sun was shining through the windows, and she looked up and she said to her mother, as she looked at the windows, she said, Mom, who are those people? Who are they? And her mother answered the only way she knew how. She said, well, those are saints. And the little girl said, oh, now I understand. Now it makes sense. She said, now I know what saints are. Saints are people who let the light shine through. Can I tell you that little girl understood the light of the world much better than most of us do. We, as a consequence of light, have the light of life. And that light of life is eternal salvation through Jesus Christ alone. And it is that light of life that we are to let shine through to a lost world. The Bible indicates that we can know Him. We can have that light Jesus there in that court of women with those large, giant, towering menorahs that were dark said, I am the light of the world. Very much the same way when God would step out on nothing and he would say, let there be light. And the darkness was flooded with light. Dear friend, can I tell you the consequence of the light of the world is that you can have the darkness of your life flooded with the light of Jesus Christ. And you could know him in the pardon and forgiveness of sin. You could know what it is to have the light of life, to have eternal life. We've looked at the words of Jesus as he claimed to be the light. He also claimed to be the bread of heaven, the light of the world, the quencher of spiritual thirst. As he said to the woman at the well, I am the living water. And he is. He is. He is the light. He is the light of the world. He's the only begotten Son of God. If He's not the Son of God, then He's not qualified to be your Savior. But can I tell you this morning, He's qualified. He, he proved He was who He said He was as He went to Calvary, as He died, as He was buried. And, and by the way, He was dead. And three days later, He rose again. And He did so to give you light. The choir so wonderfully sang about everlasting light. We see the scripture this morning where Jesus claims to be the light of the world. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, maybe you know the name Jesus. Maybe this morning you've never heard the name Jesus before. I remember the first time as a 19-year-old young man, I talked to a young lady, a lady in her 30s, a lady who was a refugee from Cambodia who lived through the Khmer Rouge invasion of Cambodia as just a little girl and she came to Chicago as a refugee after being in, uh, in Thailand for several years. And I tried to share with her Christ. She, she had no idea who Jesus was. She never heard that name before. 
Maybe you've never heard the name Jesus. Maybe you know very well who Jesus is, but you don't have his light. Can I tell you this morning that you can have the light of the world? You can know him. You can know the pardon and forgiveness of sins. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. He came to be the everlasting light. He came. He died, was buried, and rose again. That's the gospel. So, preacher, what do I have to believe? You have to believe the gospel, who Jesus is, the Son of God. What he did, he died, he was buried, he rose again. And believe that he's able to give you that light of life. He is able this morning. Would you trust him? Christian, you're here this morning and say, Pastor, I know. I know he's the light of the world. May I ask us this morning, are you reflecting his light? Are you getting as close to him as you can that you might shine like the moon reflects the sun's light back to earth, that you might reflect the light of Christ back to a lost world and you may show them the love of God? Can I encourage you this morning to make whatever decision God places upon your heart? This morning, if you're here and maybe your life is a little bit like that, that place where Jesus spoke, maybe... There's some darkness there. But you wish there was light. You want the contrast of the light of life in your life. Don't leave this place today without believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for being the everlasting light. Lord, for three days and three nights, the devil thought the light had gone out. The devil thought the light had ended. But that first resurrection morning, you, the light of the world, rose again. Every day, we have a visual representation of that light rising again as we see the sun rise. Lord, we know that you are the light of the world. We see the great contrast between light and darkness. And Lord, we know that as a result, a consequence of your light, that we can have the light of life. I thank you, Lord, for the day when as a young person I understood that you loved me, that you died for me. I understood that I was a sinner. I realized that I was guilty before a holy God. And there was nothing good I could do. There was no way that I could make it up or earn my way to heaven. And I realize that you came to be my light and my life. I thank you for that day when I simply believed on you that I was born again. Lord, I pray if there's one here in the same condition I was, that, Lord, they too would believe on you. They would receive the light of life. Lord, I pray for Christians here this morning that we would be willing to reflect your light to a lost world. Lord, I pray you bless every decision that's made here this morning. Lord, would you work in hearts. Lord, as we come to this time of invitation, Lord, as you have spoken to us through your word and by your spirit, Lord, I believe for many of us, you may want us to talk to you in prayer. 
And Lord, I pray that we would use this time to do so. Lord, to make those decisions you've placed in our heart. Lord, would you be glorified by every decision made. In your precious name we pray. Amen.